All right, great to have everybody. Easter Sunday, welcome, welcome. Sorry, we're a little bit uh, sped up. Got a little bit late start, so good to see everybody in the house of the Lord tonight. And uh, celebrate Easter, the rising of the Savior Jesus Christ. And so, if you're here and you've never been a part of a church or Easter service or anything like that, welcome. Very glad to have you. Um, we're just going to have a, a great time celebrating the main reason why uh, Christianity exists, the reason why Christianity exists. And so uh, I'm so glad you're here. Just uh, take it in. If you have questions afterwards, feel free to come up and, and grab me, grab somebody beside you. But we're just going to get into the Word of God tonight and talk about our Lord Jesus Christ and what happened a little over 2,000 years ago. And so we've been going through John regularly on Sunday nights. And so like Adam said, if you want to, you can pick back up on that, jump on the YouTube page. And, uh, but we're about to that point in John, uh, the final week, uh, the Holy Week, right? Leading up, that's what a lot of people call it, just after the Passover feast, the, the Last Supper, and Judas ends up betraying Jesus. And so it just happens to coincide with where we're at tonight. We're not going to be in the book of John. Uh, in fact, if you were here last night, this will be a little bit familiar as we continue in sort of this Holy Week series of messages uh, back to back. And so uh, let me just give you a little bit of history. If you're not really familiar with Christianity or you're not familiar with the story that happened 2,000 years ago, why uh, a large portion of the world celebrates uh, this day in particular. Jesus Christ came. He was a, a literal man that lived on the earth approximately 2,000 years ago. And he was born with a purpose. And, um, and you can go back and look at John. John's a great explanation of the purpose of Jesus Christ and answers a lot of the questions, a lot of the cosmological questions surrounding creation and God and, and just the purpose of of Christ and, and the answers that uh, to the questions that we often have. 33 years into his life, after he was born, he had succeeded in giving hope outside the bounds of fallen mankind. And he'd lived a life that had exuded favor with both man and God. And the scripture had been fulfilled in his life. God literally had come to the earth, just as his word said. John chapter 1.14 describes even that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Last week we looked at the stories that we'd, we'd looked at several months ago in John chapter 11 and 12. Namely, if you remember the story of Lazarus, one of Jesus' great friends, and, and the triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. And so we asked a question last week, Will you believe beyond your circumstances? Will you choose to have faith despite what's going on around you, what you can see, what you can observe? And we concluded last week with the promise of Christ that he came to liberate us from a life controlled by sin. It wasn't liberation from some domineering political foe or something that we wanted him to champion, some some personal pet cause of ours, but he would liberate us from the control of sin over our life. Romans chapter 6 verses 17 and 18 says this, but God be thanked 
I think we've got a slide for this one. We've got a lot of verses in the beginning. Uh, and so before we get into the message, so, so you can jot these down, check them out later. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin. You see the contrast there. At one point we were slaves literally to our sin nature, but through Jesus Christ we've been freed. And you became the servants now of righteousness. So I told you last week we were going to tie all of this together, at least attempt to, and, and show once and for all how the incapabilities, the incapacity of you and I, and in particular in our story in the context, the pre-resurrection followers of Jesus Christ, how do we shore all that up? I mean, he's beckoning, he, he's begging, he's even directing them to do essentially the impossible without his power. Right? How, how would it be needful that the once lauded Jesus would come to be tormented and tortured? Because without that, we'll see tonight, our hope would be incomplete. We would have no choice but continue. As good as our efforts, as, as well as our intentions might be, we would have no choice but to continue in our fallen state without what Jesus did. If you would, you can turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 22, and, and uh, I'm going to try to have most of the references up on, on, the page, or on the screen tonight, but you can turn over there. If you have a Bible with you, if you don't, you can download an app in like 30 seconds. Bible apps are free. You can go to Google and just BibleGateway.com, something like that if you want to, but be turning over to Luke 22, and, and let me just suggest this before, and and I'm so glad everyone's here. I, I know for a fact several people are here that I've invited that, um, you know, this might be completely new to you. And so let me just tell you that, that God is not going to force you. God will not force you. And what I mean in context is God is not going to force you to have a relationship with him. Now, one day the Bible says that every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? But he's not going to force us in the context of time that you and I would consider. And over the years, I've, I've compiled a list, and this isn't exhaustive by any means, of responses of people after I've given somebody a message about Jesus Christ or if I've been out on the street and, and uh, invited somebody to come and just, hey, let's open up the Bible together. Let's find out what Jesus is about. And when we get down to it, sometimes people have various responses. No thanks. Not now. I'm not religious. I hear that one sometimes. I don't believe in God. Right? I'm a good person. Maybe some of you have heard this one. This is a pretty common one. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just hoping I get there and oh, the big guy in the sky is just going to pull out the scales and oh, my good is just going to somehow outweigh my bad. Right? And if you know the story of Jesus, the doctrine of the gospel, right? That, that's not... That, that's not consistent with what the Bible says. I mean, by saying that, what we're saying is God's going to owe, owe it to me, right? My good works are going to be so good. He will owe it to me to let me in the kingdom. Another response I have is I don't have time or, man, that's, you know, ironically, God bless you. Like, that's for you, right? Or, or sometimes I've heard this, you know, I don't believe God is good. If there is a God based upon a relative, and they don't say it this way, but what they're basically saying is based upon like a relativistic morality, 
that they've presupposed upon God that he doesn't fit their idea of what God should be, right? Wars and sickness and all these things. And, right, a lot of different responses. Sometimes understanding, right? How the, the comprehension of the scriptures pull together and circumstances in life. Some people just decide, I, I don't want it. I'd rather control my own life. And, and some, quite a few, gladly, and thank God, this is by way of encouragement, they receive the, the truth of the gospel. And so I just want to present that as an opportunity tonight. If you've never heard the gospel, we're going to get into it, and I'll talk to you about what that means. That you have an opportunity tonight to receive the goodness of Jesus Christ and the truth of what he did on the cross for you. And before you leave tonight, you can make a decision if you want to. Not to become a member of this church or to sign up for some club or class. Like We do a lot of investment in people who want to learn the Bible here. But I'm telling you, just to start at the foundation of faith in your life, I'm going to present an opportunity. And so pay attention. We're going to get into that. And uh, you can consider it for yourself if, if the Lord leads you and you feel convicted to do it. Let me pray before we uh, jump into it. And uh, if you're a praying person... I would invite you to pray with me just, uh, and, and just ask God to move in our hearts tonight, right? So, so join me as we bow our heads. Lord, Father, we need your help. And uh, God, you know that my heart is uh, somewhat elsewhere. And uh, so I just pray that you would take care of that. God, I pray for our, our gathering tonight that you'd be magnified above all else or that you'd be glorified, that you would use the words of Scripture. God, my preparation, but Lord, would you put me aside and just be lifted up above all. I pray, God, that your word would be clear, that the truth of the gospel would penetrate our hearts. God, for those who already know you, I pray that we would be compelled and reproved and convicted to follow you wholly with all our hearts from this day forward, that we might be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So, back in the 80s, and yes, I am, I am that old, uh, back in the 80s, there was a, uh, a, a sports hero Right, that rivaled that of Michael Jordan. You'll find me sometimes talking about this guy because he was a hero of mine. Right, I grew up in the Midwest, and and so the Kansas City Royals had this this star athlete, Bo Jackson. He played professional baseball, and he was an All Star. He played also professional football for the the Oakland Raiders, and um, he was dynamic. He was an All Star in both sports. And because of it, Nike uh, sort of co-opted him. Obviously, they compensated him, and, and uh, they began this giant, like ginormous, I know that's not a word, but this incredible campaign that focused on cross-training, right? Now, today we have CrossFit, and you might think that's what I'm talking about, but cross-training, right? It was this idea that you could get up and, and play tennis, and, and uh, then you're going to go and, and do calisthenics and, and power lift and and uh, might rock climb in the afternoon, and, and tomorrow you'll do other things. You'll swim and whatever, right? And so you're working the different elements of your body. You're, you're, you're becoming like the complete athlete. That was what cross-training essentially was about. And so I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. Cross-training with Jesus, that's our Easter message. And essentially two ideas I just want to get across, and we've got four points with these. The two ideas are this. I want to talk about the means to your salvation. 
And uh, I'm not being presumptuous there. I'm just taking right out of the scripture that it applies to all mankind, that there is the means, not a means, but the means to your eternal salvation. And then secondly, the model for how to live once saved unto the Lord. So as we saw last week, if you were able to be here, and if you weren't, let me just bring you up to speed. Jesus entered the gates of the city. And the crowds were ready to coronate him. Yet he didn't do so on this mighty steed or riding on a majestic beast. He wasn't like, you know, draped the the giant elephant coming in with music and fanfare. No, he would enter, the Bible would say, on an ass, right? On a donkey, a beast of burden. And so let me give you four points tonight. I want to go through this. And uh, we're just going to lay out these four points and introduce those two concepts to you. The means to your salvation, and if you are saved, the model for how to live your life to glorify God. That's really what our objectives are tonight. That's it. So here's point number one. Jesus bore up under the crushing weight of the sin of the world. If you're taking notes, you ought to jot that down. I'm going I'm to go through these. You can ask me later for these, but I, would, I jot these down. Take these so you can review them later on. Jesus bore up under the crushing weight of the sin of the world. So from Adam all the way until the end of time, including you and I, he collectively gathered and took upon himself the identity of sin for you and me. This was, of course, manifested in his betrayal, notoriously by Judas, If you're not familiar with the story, he'd recruited 12 men to follow him. And and from there, about 70 others, and there were several others, that hundreds that would follow him. But 12 key men that were in his core team, those that would execute the ministry with him during his earthly ministry. And one of them was particularly gifted. There were a few that were. But one in particular, and so trusted by the group that he was given the purse. He was the treasurer of the group. The disciples were confounded when Jesus would identify him ahead of time as the betrayer, Judas Iscariot. And so much so that even after he told them, they just sit around scratching their heads and, and uh, they couldn't believe it. Like they just, they thought he may have misspoken. If you go back and look at that story. And, but Judas betrayed him in Luke chapter 22. If you turned over there, you can, you can read this along or you can follow along up here. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss. That capital S there. He's talking about himself, that that role of his as the Messiah. Judas was the betrayer. He, He was betrayed from one of his inner core. And yet even more so, By the rest of the 11, the Bible says that they would also depart in Luke chapter 22, the same passage, just six verses later, and Peter followed afar off. And every one of the disciples, you'll note if you're reading the Gospels, end up abandoning Jesus Christ. The scripture records that before the night was done, Peter, one of his inner three among the 12 even, These were his closest confidants, would deny even knowing who he was. Have you ever been in that situation? Right? Just embarrassed to be around somebody and so you deny knowing them. To the point he was so ashamed 
and so fearful of his own life that he resorted, the Bible says, to cursing. Mark chapter 14, verse 22, is the very first Lord's Supper was concluding. The night had begun to set in, and, and Jesus ended the meal with his disciples, saying these words, and these words would come true. And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And so, you want to write this down. This is not one of the main points. But what I'm about to say, maybe, maybe, might be the most important, it's at least one of the most important things I'm going to be saying tonight. So pay attention to this. All would forsake him, right? And they would all fail. Demonstrating, and this is what I, this is what I want you to pick up. Demonstrating with this one final story and concluding the Old Testament as it came to an end, that the good, our good works, the best of our best, would never amount to enough, would never be sufficient to coexist with God's glory. The best of our best, the, the, the most good that we can drum up and derive from our own well intentions would not be sufficient to coexist with God's glory. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 3, 23, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he records these words, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, it was absolutely critical that the life of Jesus would lead here because you and I, no matter how gifted, no matter how privileged, no matter how earnest, how cunning, we would fall short. Missing the mark of God's righteousness in ourselves. So 2,000 years ago, John records these words. And we're not quite here in John chapter 16 yet. But in John chapter 16, 32, in the weeks to come, you'll hear us go over this. He says this in John 16, 32. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And so that's where Jesus found himself. On this, this middle of the night, after warning his disciples, after foretelling the need to go through what he was about to go through, it happened just as he said, and he finds himself all alone in the garden. Man, what, what symmetry, what poetry, right? As, as Adam and as Eve failed in a garden some 4,000 years prior, here he finds himself doing battle for our souls in the same Area, this, this garden of Gethsemane where he's begging his father to take this cup from him. And he's alone. The disciples, even though they were in proximity, they were asleep. They couldn't even wait in prayer with him. And so when Judas came and he brought the soldiers, of course they were scattered. They weren't prepared. And you know what? This is, this is the thing. Sometimes we look at this and, and we just scratch our head and shake our he heads at, oh, yeah, those disciples, what morons. You know, if it was me, right? I mean, it's kind of, we just chuckle at that, right? I mean, because surely we don't think that, but sometimes we do, right? We think, oh, if it was me, like, it wouldn't have had to go down that way. I would have been there, right? You know what? It was needful. It was absolutely needful. And we have to reckon this as so. We have to recognize this truth is absolute from God's word. It was needful that he would be betrayed by one of his closest followers. It was needful that he would be abandoned by the rest. If you don't know the story, 
it was needful that he would be delivered to his enemies. It was needful that he would be subsequently mocked and publicly humiliated and scoffed. It was needful that they would take his beard and pull it out from the roots. It was needful that he would be scourged with a scourge made with shards of metal and glass. You see, it was needful that our Savior, that they would take a a crown of thorns and, and impress it upon his head to where the blood ran down hot. It was needful that Jesus would be falsely accused. It was needful that he would be conspired against by those who were jealous and who hated God. It was needful that his face and visage would be so marred as to make him unrecognizable as a man. And it was needful for you and for me for the glory of his Father, to satisfy the debt of sin that we caused, that he would be crucified on the cross with nails penetrating his hands and his feet. It was needful. In Luke chapter 23, verse 33, and when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. In Acts 17, 3, that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead. And although undeserving, he did it out of love. He did it out of love for you and me. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Like, like I get it. In, in our pride, we want to think like, oh, what a shame. That shouldn't happen. But listen, this is why it happened. In, in Romans chapter 5, but God commendeth his love toward us in that this. Listen to this. While we were yet sinners... Remember, don't forget the incapacity, our incapability of pleasing God in our own pleasure, of our own will. No matter how much we want to muster up the willpower to do good, the Bible says without God, that's impossible. And so Christ died for us. And while we were yet sinners, that's what Romans 5 says. John 3.16, very popular verse, and some of you may have read this before or seen it. In John chapter 3, you can... Read it up on the board. For God, this is the Father, so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a promise that Jesus makes. That's a pretty amazing promise. Isn't it? Amen? And after that, you see, it's finished. He does the work for us. And that's, okay, so if you're a person of pride... That's humiliating to think that somebody else had to pay the price of your sin. You want to reject that. I want to cling to religion. I want to cling to my own willpower, my own ability to just outweigh the bad that I may have done in life. If you're a person of pride, I I get it. I mean, the Bible talks about that. You need to know, though, that, that pride is not a spirit that comes from the Lord. It's a spirit that comes from his enemy, the devil, because he wants you to think that you've got this. But it's more than that. It's more than just you doing more good works than bad because because that's the equation, right? Let let me just tell you, you've got the wrong problem. You're dealing with, you know, have you ever ever taken a test? 
right? And I used to love math. And uh, as I got older, not so much, right? And so anyway, I used to love math. And, and, um, but man, if, if you're doing a math test or a problem, and especially a word problem, you know, um, and, and they're going through it and, and you're trying to solve the equation, You've got to make sure you're doing the right word problem, right? And, and, and you've got to make sure you're, do, you're doing the right equation, using the right figures and the right values. You see, this isn't the proper equation. The equation isn't just you balancing the value of your good works versus the bad works. Here's the equation. The equation is this. Take your good works out of it. It's your bad works against the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that satisfies God's wrath. That's what the Bible says. I'm not making this up. This is, what, this is what the Bible beckons us, and that's why it calls us to surrender to him. And he, he willingly asks us to do it. And he says, I'm going to do all the work for you. You just have to reckon, you have to believe that that's what it takes. Because everything else is an offense against the Father. It's a big middle finger to God saying, you know what? Your son was not good enough. I got this myself. And that's offensive to God. At the end of the day, Jesus, who was 100% man, actually died and breathing his last breath, cried out. Listen to what he says. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Man, talk about grace. And as he died, he proved he was man and that God had in fact become man. Just like the 90s prophet Alanis Morissette said, right? God was one of us. And the Bible said that just as he died for you and I, putting an end to this life, he was also buried and rose again three days later. You see, he surrendered everything about himself for you and I. He stepped down from the throne. He condescended and became a man and, and even then the lowliest of mankind for you and me, he bore up the weight of our sins by paying the price of all of them. He became death for us. Here's point number two, though, and you need to get this down as we move forward. Jesus rose up from the grave. And these next few points will go a lot, a lot quicker here, but I needed to introduce what he did by, by bearing up the sins for you and me. The second thing is this, that Jesus rose up from the grave. And this is the distinction between Jesus Christ and every other great hero of faith, is that Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is alive, presently living. He rose again. And it's according to the Scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3-4, through 4, look at what it says. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And what do we mean according to the Scriptures? Well, Matthew gives us some insight. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, referring back to the old story, that, that happening that took place over in Assyria with, with uh, the Ninevites, and, and God sent a prophet Jonah, and Jonah disobeyed and so he ran off and God sent a whale and swallowed him for three days so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth it's a direct recitation from from Jonah there right Matthew chapter 12 1 Corinthians 15 you see Matthew referring back to Jonah that proved that Jesus was not just a man 
But His rising from the dead, you see this, that proved that He was also the Son of God. That's different. He's not just some guy that you and I ascribe to and some great hero that, we, that is valiant and gives his life. No, he's alive now. He has given everything, proving and conquering sin and death once and for all and, and the hold of sin in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at what it says there. Oh, death. Look, listen, look at Paul's conclusion. Oh, death. Where is thy sting? Now, is Paul just some hot shot, like, you know, death wish guy? Like, oh, death, bring it on. Where's your, I, I dare you. Where's thy sting? The sting of death is sin, he says. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, as he rose again, he became death. But by raising again, he vanquished death. Both eternally, but also a lifestyle. And so this is what we want to talk about, right? Some of you have never heard the gospel, and so this might be confounding, right? Just hang in there, okay? Keep, keep listening to what the Word of God says. Pray about it. You can talk to me about it. Go home, think about it. But if God's moving in your heart, let today be the day of your salvation. Don't delay that if you're ready. Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins. And what you must do is believe on his gospel, the good news that says that he did so, and believing that that alone is sufficient to pay the eternal debt that your sin caused upon the holy, eternal God in heaven. Amen? Okay, so I hope that's clear, but let me, let me transition now. Because believer, maybe you've already made that decision, you see, him vanquishing death is not just so that you can have a really cool fireman in the sky that, that oh man, you were on your way to hell and uh, man, the, the big chief you know, donned the, the hard hat and you know, the four alarm fire and he pulls up and, and he just he saves you from the fires of hell. Well, praise God. Praise God. But, but also, with this path, he demonstrated what it would mean to die to self and to be absorbed fully with self-abandonment. Not just to be emptied out, right? I'm not talking about just emptying your mind and allowing anything to come in. But be fully dead to self and alive unto God and what God says about you. And so he models this with what he does on the cross. He dies, he's buried, completely losing his identity, right, in death. But then he raises again a new life. And the Bible says that now he's seated with us. And here's point number three, that Jesus is now seated. Okay, now what in the world does this have to do with, with us, not just our salvation, but, but us fulfilling our purpose in God, to bring Him glory. Well, He's presently, the Bible would say, on the right hand of His Father that demonstrates His holiness, His goodness, His right to the throne of all creation. And as head of the church, as Ephesians would say, ruling the hearts of those who would have Him. But it's also for the future. And so don't be fooled. If you're a believer in here, and man, this is probably 90% of the church today. I'm not talking about our church. I just mean the church at large I hope this doesn't resemble our church anyway. 
but about probably 90, maybe 95% of the church today forgets this, that Jesus Christ is returning one day. That Jesus Christ, the Bible promises, is returning one day. In fact, that is the theme of the Bible. The return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it, and that's what we have to be prepared for. You see, Jesus will come to judge one day. And he's not up there just begging, you know, I think sometimes pastors and ministers, and if you run into Christians this way, I'm sorry. But I think sometimes we, we like to com- convey God and portray him as this anxious guy up there that's just um, like trying to make his quota, right? And uh, like, oh man, I hope, hope, what's, hope she comes back to church. And, you know, oh man, I pray that guy gets saved. And oh, please, please, I just, I need one more. You see, he's seated, the Bible says, because that's a place of authority. He's not just idly sitting by hoping and wishing that things will go well for you. He's seated in judgment because the Bible says that all will be judged by him. And he's waiting on the day, as his father will instruct, when he will return to have dominion over all. So church, I've got to ask you, are you ready for that? Are you ready for that day? For the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? And if not, why not? Why aren't you ready? What self-indulgence, what slothfulness, and I'm just picking stuff out of the air here, right? What distraction has occupied your mind so much as to render your eternal existence, your eternal purpose, an afterthought? I've got these other very important things to do. I'm pretty sure God wants me to be this or that, to be the best I can be now, right? Oh, man. God help us. I know there are a lot of pastors and people standing up behind pulpits today and next week, and they just want to just, oh, like, like you're their puppy dog, and just confirm and affirm everybody and make everybody feel good. And we're just going to build the church based upon just, man, you just be the, oh, that's what you're going to do with your life? Great. Do it. Keep doing it better. I hope I can be of service to you. Man, when did we stop being of service to God? When did we as a church, our identity, decide that it was more important to serve our own desires, our own needs, our own wants, or or even worse, what's projected upon us? Are we ready for the coming of the Lord? Because He's seated. He's ready. Maybe you've never heard what the Bible says about it before. Maybe some experience has turned you off to things of God. Perhaps it is because of, of just pride and you need to own up to that. Maybe it's a refusal to see yourself as worth saving. You need to know this before we get into point number four. That God loves you. God loves each and every person in this room. That's what John 3 was all about. So much that the father gave the life of his son. That's how much he, I, I can't imagine. I've got some kids in the back here. I can't imagine Right, no offense to anybody in this room. But I can't imagine exchanging them for anybody. And that relationship that God had with his son was so far exceedingly more intimate than anything that I could ever imagine with my own kids. And, and yet he gave it up. 
The Bible said so much so that as Jesus was hanging, suspended on the cross for all to laugh and mock at, naked for the world, the Bible says that he cried out, Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Those weren't empty words. Father could not look upon sin and his son having taken it upon himself as his own identity for you and me. Father indeed had to turn his back on his own boy. You see, God loves you that much that he let his son bear the weight of your sin, of my sin, of the world's sin upon his back. But get this down. Yeah, he's seated. He's ready to judge. But here's the good news. Jesus, point number four, is ready to stand on your behalf. You see, the gospel message is a message of hope and of life. And despite what the world has done to you, despite what choices you have made, despite what the devil has fooled you into thinking, despite what you yourself perhaps have perpetrated against others or God, Jesus has already done the work for you, if you'll accept it. You see, the price has been paid to redeem you from the clutches of darkness. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, listen to this invitation. Now, he's given you the realistic picture because First, he's telling you, look, if you're one of my kids, it's not always going to be easy. And just like it isn't for my kids sometimes, I'll I'll have to get them in line and I have to chastise them. But look what he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. You see, there's a need to turn away from sin. Behold, and here's the invitation, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice... And open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Jesus isn't there. It's like, I think we see this. And I used to have an old Bible when I was a kid. And it had, uh, you know, famous illustrations and artistic renderings of Bible stories. And it had Samson, like, you know, carrying the, the gates of Philistia away. And, uh, you know, Daniel in the lion's den. One of them was Jesus. You know, it's the probably the romantic, you know, I don't mean like the Romantics version of Jesus, you know, the the doughy-eyed, wavy-haired guy and, you know, half-blonde-haired guy, and he's just sitting at a door in this serene garden, just like, you know, knocking. And I think sometimes we like to think of Jesus as as that, like he's a door-to-door salesman, just like, oh, here, go to the next one, you know, just desperate. Now, Jesus wants to stand for you in power. His posture for you on your behalf is a posture of a warrior. Like somebody whose sword is drawn, ready to cut away the sin and the power it has over your life away from you so that you can be fully into Him. That's what He wants. And He's ready to do battle for you. This, my friends, is the posture of the standing Jesus Christ for you and me. He wants that for you if you'll receive it. So as we close, I just want you to look at this posture that Christ wants for you. We see his, and like we could spend literally a week of Sundays going through that aspect of Jesus as the warrior. But in Ephesians chapter 6, let me tell you what he wants, Christian. This is for you. This is for you, church, if you're here and you don't know what I'm talking about, and that's okay. Just listen in, give you some, some inside the church 
baseball here. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. This is what He wants for you. Christian, too many of us in the church and in churches all over the country and in the world, but especially here where we have everything that we need, too many of us are not standing in power. And we're going to go and we're going to leave here and wake up tomorrow morning and just the misery of what we think is going on, happening to us in this life, just gets us right down in the dumps again. God says, look, I may or may not change your circumstances, but I want you to stand in power because you've got a purpose. You have a plan that I've laid out. That's what Christ says for each one of you, whether you're a student or you've already gone through school or, or you don't work or you're, you're, whatever your lot in life is, God wants to use you to bring glory to his name by proclaiming the good news of who he is to your friends. To your family. He wants to use you to live a holy life, modeling that for other people. He wants to use you to plug you into a local church, whether it's this one or somewhere else, but God wants you knit and fitted, like Ephesians 4 says, to a body of Christ so you can do work with Him and through Him. You can exercise those gifts and, and in the structure of a local church, be invested in the Word of God and invest in other people as you learn and grow and get involved in a discipleship ministry like we were talking about earlier where somebody invests the Word of God into you just one-on-one, -on -one, teaching you what the Word of God says. Some of you have never had that opportunity before. And you need to do that. You see, God wants you to stand. Look at what Ephesians 6 says. You continue in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Don't, don't get fooled this November when everyone's going to try to make you think that it's, it's against the blue team or it's against the red team. Right? You guys follow me? You know, who you vote for and you know, whether Russia's going to do this or China's this or, or some other country. That's flesh and blood. And that's a trick, the Bible says. The Bible says that's a trick. We don't wrestle against that. God has a greater power. Jesus says to go to all nations and to not get entangled with this world in that way. So don't, don't let yourself get entangled by those things. Let's trust God to be used to reach all men of every stripe for the glory of the Father through Jesus Christ. So we stand. Not so you can be a, a better, no offense, if you're, if you're you know, studying civics and civil servant and all that, praise God, we need people in government wherever you're at, okay? But our, if that's you, your objective still isn't to be the, the, the king of the world or the president or the congressman or, or if you return to your home country, the best ambassador and, and leader in your country. That's not your life mission. Now, it may be a tool that God uses, but your life mission is against principalities, the spiritual, against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Keep going. Wherefore, since that's our mission, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, 
to stand. Stand. Does he want us to stand? Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. You see, Jesus isn't weakly begging. But as an armed man, ready to set captives free as he judges sin and death in your life. He wants to judge it right now. You know how he does it? By you surrendering your sin, your life, under his blood. And you let it be judged once and for all, not by the Father, praise God, but by the covering of his holy blood. Man, I had to do it many years ago. I had to reckon my sin versus God's righteousness, there was no contest. There was nothing I was going to be able to do to overcome that. And I had to recognize that it was only through the righteous blood of Jesus Christ that God would look upon me and see his son instead of me. And when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior many years ago, I became a new creature. The old man passed away. I became in Christ. And that day, my old life died. I was buried in Christ just as he was in death. The Bible says that I was resurrected, even presently, and one day, physically even, when, when the Lord returns, I'm in Christ. That can be you. I'm going to ask the praise team to come forward and dismiss us with just a song of praise. You see, Jesus is not going to do this violently, at least not yet. And he'll never do it violently to force salvation upon you. He doesn't trick you. He doesn't exploit you. He doesn't come upon you with some cheap substitute. Those are all tactics of the devil to lure you with some imitation of power, to become reliant on the one thing even when it challenges the place of God in your life. No, Christ knows that the battle is for your heart and for your mind. And so any decision to follow Him is one that every person must make for themselves. That's why at this church... We baptized somebody several weeks ago. That, now, that didn't save them. And we, wait, we waited until that young man was of a position to make a decision for himself. Because I can't save you. If you come up here and ask me, oh, pastor, save me. I can't throw my tea over your head. Or, or you know, I think there might be some water left in the baptismal. I can't dunk you and say, that doesn't save you. Like, I can't project salvation upon you. I can't project it upon a baby. I can't project it upon... I guess it's got to be a personal decision. You have to decide for yourself. And you have to recognize it's not of good works. Not through baptism. Not through... You could be here every day of the week. It's not through your good works. It's not through some ceremony. It's through the recognition that it's by God's grace alone. And through the faith... In Jesus Christ. He paid the price. That's good news. I talked to a gentleman just last night. And he'd never heard that story. And just in response, he blurted out after I told him the story for the first time in his life, that is good. Yes, it is. It's good. If you've never heard that story before and you're thinking, that's good. It is good. It's good news. The good news is this, that you can yourself, independent of me or anybody else, you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord just by putting your faith, by believing 
that Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, his burial, his death, and his resurrection to life is sufficient to pay for your sins. Will you make him your Lord tonight? That's the question. That's the question. He asks you to let him in to commune, to have a relationship. You see, the work's already been done. He bore up under the cross. He rose up. He's seated, and he's ready to stand. Will you receive him as your Lord of your life? Not just as your fire escape, but will you surrender your life and repent of your sins and and give yourself, give your control over to him? Now, Christian, as we wrap up, what does your life look like? Are you modeling the same pattern to others? You see, Christ came to set you free, not just so you can be free of sin and, and just live your own best life, but so you can also learn to bear up like Jesus did the burden of others. Not just physically, but so you can point them to the solution of salvation. Are you then allowing, Christian, Jesus and his word in you to reign in your life? Because if not, you're going you're gonna to mess the picture up. You may be saved, you may be a believer, but if you're refusing to bear up the burdens of other people, man, what's your life for? So will you decide? Maybe some of you need to get discipled. Maybe some of you just need to decide, I'm going I'm to regularly attend. I'm going to become part of this church. I'm going to commit to being a part of a body like Ephesians 4. If you've got business to do with the Lord, let's, let's go ahead and stand. And we'll be dismissed in, in praise and worship. If you've got business to do with the Lord, I'm just going to invite you right where you're seated. You don't need me. Uh, if you want me to pray with you, you can. You can come down afterwards or even during uh, the praise set. And um, we can just get it right right now. Let's put a stake down in your seat. And let's get right. Let's, let's confess and repent to the Lord who he is and what he wants out of us. And let's make a decision. And let's get accountable. Right? Let's not just keep this quiet. And just run out of here and just, oh man, I hope that sticks. Let's get accountable to one another. Amen? All right, let me pray. I'm going to turn it over to our group, and you guys will be officially dismissed. Amen? Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you, God, that your word speaks to us. Lord, that 2,000 years ago, you, you put it together, and it's still relevant. It's still alive. It's still perfect and applicable to us. God, I pray that we would recognize it as sufficient. God, I thank you for our friends, Lord, who came tonight that were just curious and wanted to see what Easter was about. God, I pray that you would bless them. Lord, give them wisdom to know you. Lord, I pray that if anybody has questions here, whether they've come for a long time or it's their first time or everything in between, that they would settle those issues tonight, not leave, but have courage to deal with these. In Jesus' name, amen.